Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Who Art Thou podcast. I'm your host, Barra Carlin, and with me today, I'm delighted to be chatting to Siobhan Callahan. So Siobhan is an actor in stage and screen and also as a writer. Um, she might have seen her in some shows like Vikings Valhalla, or she's also performed in the Abbey Theatre and Smock Alley Theatre. So quite an interesting dynamic between stage and screen, which we'll also be chatting about. And uh, as a writer, she just wrote her wrote and starred in her own short film called Quicksand, which is out later this year. Um, it's about a sex addict. I've seen scenes from it, and my God, it looks phenomenal. It made me like physically uncomfortable. <laughs> Just the acting in it is, it's oh, it was amazing. Um, really, 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 so fantastic actor. Uh, really, really interesting to chat to. I don't think I've ha- I haven't had an actor on, so it's really cool to actually pick someone's brain about film. And uh, she was brilliant. So we're chatting about all that kind of stuff, and also uh, our love of Ari Aster, Martin McDonough. Uh, separating the art from the artist and a whole host of other topics. It really was an absolute delight having her on. And she gave one of the best answers I've ever gotten for the final question, which is what do you love most about what you do that I've heard in a long time. So uh, it really was a pleasure. And anyway, I'll get on with the episode. Uh, Here's a theme music by Zach Stevenson. Uh, from screen and film, t- well, TV and film, and also writer as well. Yes. Is that good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Theater we'll too. Theater, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Oh, I did say theater, didn't I? I think you said screen and TV and film. <laughs> great. We're off to a great start already. <laughs> I like it, covering all bases. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming. I really appreciate welcome. it. Um, so I guess the way we always start these episodes is how did you get into your chosen field? Um, so I kind of always did it since I was a kid. Um, I started off in a stage school, kind of after school drama school thing when I was about four. Oh, wow. And okay, so really young. Yeah. yeah, but like everyone was doing it. It, mm. wa- it wasn't that I woke up one day and said, I'm going to be an okay. actor <laughs> to my parents at the age of four. I just went in because all my mates are there. Um, and I just didn't like school. Never really felt I was any good at anything apart from like English mm. and like yeah any anything that was a little bit creative I wasn't very good at art but I loved it um so yeah I realized quite quickly that that wasn't for me um and that I'd have to go into something creative so from there I graduated and I went um to Bolali for two years which was a kind of actor training place in the liberties um and then went to the Lear from there oh nice yeah and uh so was it was it stage was originally the kind of the the direction that you wanted to go in was it and then the yeah I mean to be honest like I was always up for both Both. um it just happened to be stage first you know um and and then started moving into screen but like the theater or the training and acting in Ireland is very theater focused like Mm, even in the Lear you only have you've one kind of acting for a screen class but you could probably do it a little bit more because that's where the money is. Yes. So. <laughs> so this, this is a this is a friend of mine now who's an actor who's going to be. I'm not going to name him drop him not name drop him actually because he'd love me to do that. But uh, he always is. Like, I'd like to do theatre because but I need to do the fucking the screen stuff because yeah. I just can't pay any for anything else. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um. Like I I I'm not sure if I prefer theatre or screen. Like I think they're quite different. And with theatre, you get that like adrenaline from doing it live yeah. and you know there's some real nice camaraderie camaraderie camaraderie, camaraderie. 
the, one that, the, word the writer I, here. The, one, the word that I can say is variety. variety. And like, I know I said it there because I've genuinely have to train myself into saying it. Because <laughs> yeah. the times when you talk about something like music, whatever, it goes, there's so much, it always comes out as variety. Variety. <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah, I always feel like with com- camaraderie. Camaraderie? Is that it? Camaraderie. Camaraderie. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. It's like I see the word. Like on comrades, the page in you know, my like head. the Russian kind of. Comrade, yeah. yeah. Camaraderie. There we go. Okay. Um, anyway, there's we've got some of that going on yeah. on stage. So when something goes wrong, it's almost more exciting because yeah. you all have to kind of figure out how you're going to pull yourself out of it. And the adrenaline rush from that is amazing. And you also get so much time to rehearse and like really get into a character, into a play. Mm. Um, whereas with screen, you know, you fuck up. Can I say fuck on this? Yeah, it's an adult podcast. Don't worry. That if, you, that's, if that's the worst you're going to say, we're going to have it. Cool. So when you fuck up, um, <laughs> you just call cut and you go again. And yeah. obviously they're not delighted about it because time is money. But um, yeah, there's always the, the, you can fix it or fix it and edit or whatever, you know. Is in, in, with screen, uh, with stage stuff actually, is it like, is it less rigid as well? Could, like, or as screen stuff, are you able to try stuff out as much as you hear act? You know, you hear actors trying stuff out on camera all the time. Is the same mm. stage or? Yeah, I mean, on stage, uh, like definitely in the rehearsal process, there's a lot of fluidity. You can mm. kind of do what you want, throw everything at the wall, and see what sticks. You know, um, and when it's actually up, when the show goes up, it's you. There is still space to kind of mess around with stuff but you also don't want to do it too much because you don't want to throw off the other actors too yeah, much you know enough. if they're used to one thing all the time and then suddenly you're doing it in a German accent yeah you know <laughs> making someone break on stage is probably not a good thing to do no <laughs> and it's happened to me often oh you know? has it oh god like there's been so many times where I'm in you know I remember doing this one show out in Mullingar and the actor came out and very similarly had a thing like me trying to say camaraderie yeah. <laughs> there we go um, just couldn't get the word out you know but I'm supposed to be like bawling my eyes out in yeah. this scene and I was just Dude, laughing you know <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing and my shoulders are going and I was crying so it was kind of okay because I could I could play it yeah. off as as crying <laughs> I just needed to cover my mouth you know um, so yeah that does happen a lot but um, I would say though in terms of like finding new things I've never done a play where until the last night I wasn't finding new things okay. you know you're standing on stage and you say something and you go oh that's what that line meant and you've been saying it you've said that line 300 <laughs> times by now end, yeah. but something will just click and that just keeps happening and you keep discovering more and stuff so that's always really nice to to have that space to do that and because you've worked like with screen and stuff worked on like what's it like working on a big production because I know you were in Vikings like mm. Vikings Valhalla what's it like working on a production like that where there's like so much people around you all at all times I would imagine I don't know like yeah uh, yeah there's a lot like yeah. there's hun- <laughs> hundreds hundreds you know um, it's amazing cool show, to be on as well like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a lot of fun and you've you got know? like a couple of badass scenes in it as well like yeah. you sent me your show reel obviously and that scene with you guy on the boat and I was like oh fuck <laughs> yeah I get real stabby yeah yeah <laughs> Um, that was really fun. I was delighted to have that, you know, yeah. because the character that I was playing um, kind of, she kind of kept getting saved by her male lover counterpart oh, like or whatever. A typical damsel almost. A little but, bit, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So there was a little bit of that going on. And then when we actually got to do these kind of stunts, you know, I really went hell for leather because (laughs) I was like, this is my opportunity to stab some people, you know. Yeah, Um, because it is one of those things like I've seen him because I have a friend who's an actor and just seeing him in roles. He always plays serial killers for out of reason, Mark. Like he always plays serial killers. (laughs) But it is so weird when you know the person, you're just kind of like, oh, it's so nice to chat to this person. Then you're just like, oh, fuck. You just see them the complete, (laughs) which is the whole point of acting, obviously. Yeah. A completely different light. Like it must be very exciting to even just read it on the page it's going I gotta do that today absolutely <laughs> there was one day where we went in and I actually wasn't supposed to kill anyone in the scene you know <laughs> but uh, everybody else is getting to kill people mm. and my like lover um, uh, Kason is the character's name he's up on the boat and everything kind of falls apart and everyone's killing each other and stuff and in the script he's supposed to say somebody goes to stab me I kind of fail in in um, saving myself and he's from, from the boat shoots a bow and arrow and kills your man but I was like, can I just, can I just kill him myself to the stunt guys? And they're like, yeah, okay. Nice. So, <laughs> so they're like, you're going to slit his throat, blah, blah, blah. And I got into it and you get to do it over and over again. And I slit his throat and I turned around and there's this other stunty kind of crawling across the grass. And I was like, can I kill him too? And they're like, go for it, go for it. So I'm just like stabbing anyone who comes my way, you know? And it actually made it into the cut because I was going, it's not in the script. So yeah. the chances of it getting in there are pretty slim. But it got in there. Nice. Um, and that was the day that everyone was like, you, you have crazy eyes. <laughs> I never have seen that side of you so it's good though yeah this sounds like a lot of fun like how do do you go about getting roles like that actually do you just get them through like an agency or it's like I imagine is it it a lot of auditions or yeah so generally um, you like I have an agent and they will be on the lookout for jobs that suit my casting Um, and they'll be in contact with casting directors then in Ireland Mm. and um, if the brief is you know uh, female between 20 and 30 then pretty much every actor between the age of 20 and 30 who is female presenting yeah. will get a tape for that um, so you do a self-tape first and then if you get through that generally there's a callback depending on how big the part is like if it's a lead you might do four or five callbacks you do like a chemistry read <laughs> That's as well a lot of waiting and just waiting to find out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah for that process for Valhalla it was uh, actually it ended up just being the one self tape and that was through a casting director and uh, and then Jeb Stewart who was the uh, showrunner on Vikings Valhalla would have sat down and looked at all of the tapes that the casting director had sent on mm. um, and from those chose his final cast um, so that that's kind of unusual to only do one self tape, mm. but it was just I think they were they have so many people to cast in yeah. that show, you know. So they're kind of speeding things along in that sense. Yeah, I would imagine any show like that, like Game of Thrones as well, just where there's so many people all the time. Like mm. I think even in the in the showreel, there's like is there like twelve people on set, uh, twelve actors in the one scene and stuff, all mm. r- conversing off each other. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. It was a lot, yeah. <laughs> a lot of actors in that. That was all the fuck. That was our main storyline. Yeah. So. Everyone was super nice as well. You know, we just mm. became this little family by the end of it. Is is it a long shoot doing stuff like that where it's like outdoors and everything? Because I'd imagine even just like I remember watching the, Re- I think it was the making of The Revenant and they did it all outdoors and natural mm. lighting. It was like they only had like three hours a day to shoot kind of stuff. Mm. Is it that kind of? Yeah, well, I mean, that's pretty much why they shoot during the summer mostly in Ireland because, mm. you know, longer days um, and also more chance of it not raining all the time. Uh, I think, <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I think there was only one day that we were shooting where it really, really rained, you oh. know, and we managed to get what we needed to get anyway, Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, it was about two months, maybe a little bit more of filming for uh, the majority of stuff on season 
too for the storyline that uh, my character and the others were in. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it was pretty intense, pretty full on, and it was every day. But it was such a like such a privilege yeah. because you get to you know you get picked up in the morning by someone in a car and all the drivers were lovely and you're brought to set and then somebody comes in and you know does your hair and your makeup and they're all so good at what they do and you kind of just feel like you're part of this big massive machine of like people who are experts in their field and yeah. it's really humbling you know um and yeah and then going down onto the set and we were so lucky to be on location all the time so it meant that like at six or seven in the morning i'd be on set ready to go and the sun is rise, rising over Glendalock or you know lockdown is that where or something. Rochelle was it just because hmm? it just looks like it just looks like the most beautiful part of Arden like you just and you know yeah. it's Arden when you see it as well You're yeah saying, it just looks great <laughs> yeah. um yeah most of it was shot in Wicklow and then okay. we were out in Slane as well which I believe is not Wicklow I think it's the other way I don't know I've, and I've been to Slane quite a few times as well I should know where it is I just know that it's a very long bus, bus journey when you've been drinking for the entire day <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's on the River Boyne, so it has to be out more me the direction. Oh, I remember, yeah. I know this is complete, but I remember we, I've been to Slane three times, and the first two times the bus driver allowed us to go for a pee break on the bus journey. Nice, up, nice. And it's a three-hour bus journey thing. On the second one, on the third one, he didn't, and just there was just all you could see was people, like men particularly, just with people going like trying to talk to him, just going, just shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why would he do that? I don't I mean, know. It was really, he's just endangering just his own bus. Him trying to get there quicker. It made no sense. No. And then of course you get people doing all sorts trying to... That's silly. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> I've never been to a gig in Slane. I've always wanted to go to one. They're, but... they're good. Like Eminem, well, Eminem was the first one that I went to. That was one of the worst gigs I was ever at. Uh, Why? By, because he was terrible. He was so... Was and he? the crowd were... Oh, he was terrible. I would never I would never recommend anybody go see Eminem. Why? What was bad about him? Well, first he does like... He only does about 30 seconds of each song. Hmm. He lip syncs the whole time. He was an hour late, I think. The crowd were so obnoxious that Aww. they booed Plan B off stage. Um, oh fair enough, the slain girl thing was that year as well. Oh, not to bring that oh, back God. up again, which was... That was horrible. God, poor um, slain girl. Trying to think of some other stuff that happened on it. It just... It, it was just a bad gig. Mm. It was really bad. But the, I remember the crowd. The crowd particularly like kept flipping every kept kept flipping every performer off. And then for Eminem to come on and just be really bad. And he didn't even speak to the audience. He has a hype man does all the speaking for him. Oh, um, that's bullshit. Come so on I was now, very annoyed. Stan. But then Stan. <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, after the one after that was uh, Foo Fighters, and they were brilliant. Mm. That was amazing. And then Metallica was the third one. The Metallica are just their Metallica, so mm. it was pretty. Yeah, good it's as always well. going to be a good show. <laughs> But uh, no, I'd recommend. Uh, could you recommend it? It's you need you need to be in a mood to go. <clears throat> it is quite a journey. Yeah, it is a journey, but it's such a beautiful place. Like oh, it's good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a great venue as well. The only yeah. and the other thing as well is though it's on a slope. Oh yeah. So if yeah. it's raining, then it's real bad because oh, yeah. walking back up it is impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that slope. <laughs> yeah. But because uh, you mentioned that you were a writer at the beginning, well, I mentioned that you were a writer because you are a writer. But, um, <laughs> what kind of uh, where where do you see yourself going with stories? Like, what kind of gets you into the mood for writing, and what direction do you like taking with it? Um, also, what do you like about it in general as well? It's kind of an interesting question because it was something I was literally just talking to someone about yesterday, and uh, I realized that. So it's 
like if I watch a really good movie, I'll definitely be inspired, you know, mm. um, or books really inspire me. But it's mostly when I'm just kind of falling asleep and I'll have an, an idea pops into my head and I'll go, oh, that's a really good idea. I'll write that down. And then I completely forget to write it down. And then the idea is gone forever the next morning. Um, <laughs> or similarly, I'll wake up in the middle of the night. Same thing will happen. So those those points are inspirational moments for me of the day. But I always fail to actually lock them in. Yeah. Um, I think like walking is really good for just like uh, trying to focus in an idea and pick it apart a little bit and, and build it. Like, I don't know if it's the rhythm of walking. Um, but yeah, I find that I find that helpful. And also podcasts like screenwriters mm. who have podcasts. I find that uh, super helpful to just f- make it feel a little less daunting going into it because writing a story particularly for screen is just so big you yeah. know it's like really hard to start <laughs> um I so, wouldn't yeah. even know where to begin with it now to be honest but yeah I, like you I've even I've seen scripts and I'm just like you know with even just the details of what they're doing with their hands and I was like this is so much this is so much <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I think that like I'm I'm fairly new to screenwriting, like relatively, you know, I started really during the pandemic mm. um, and I was thrown in the deep end a little bit uh, by my co-writer, <laughs> <laughs> um, who's an incredible writer, but I'd been sending him scripts. I was kind of just messing around, seeing if I was any good at it for a while, you know, so I was sending him scripts and he's been doing it, you know, 20 years or so. And uh and he kind of liked them. And then he got in touch with me to say um, that a production company in Ireland had asked him to pitch a TV show idea um, for a young audience, like mm. not kids, but about 15, 16, that age group, you know, and that he thinks that some of the ideas that I had in the scripts I'd sent him might suit oh, that. Wow. So he asked, did I want to get together and pitch something? Um, so at the time I'd heard this really interesting story about a hacker and it was around that age group as well. The story was about a guy who's about 15 or 16. So I kind of pitched that to him and we worked on that and then pitched it together and they bit and we were like, oh shit, now I have to actually do this thing. <laughs> Look, <laughs> why the fuck do I write a screenplay? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was in good company because he knew how to do it. Mm. Uh, but it was also the beginning of the pandemic when this happened. So I had a lot of time to learn. You know, there's just, I just listened to as many podcasts as I could by screenwriters and read as many books as I could and just totally immersed myself in it. So that was really great. But like, you know, that was one way in, but there's also a million other ways in. And I feel that the more I, I listen to screenwriters talk about their process, there isn't really a right or wrong, you know, it's just, um, yeah, what whatever gets the creative juices flowing for you. And like the formula and the structure of it is helpful in one sense and limiting in another, yeah. you know, but like every story is a hero's journey. Um, and whether that's happy or sad at the end doesn't matter. It's a hero's journey yeah. and every story is a five act structure and it's, it's always been that way. So there are guidelines that are really helpful, but um, we've spoken about this at length are also <laughs> um, kind of damaging to the creative flow yeah. because you feel like you, you have to follow it you know it is mad when you see like when people try and break it like scripts that are really famous now because they've been made that were rejected by so many mm. people I'm trying to think of so off the top of my head some of the scripts that were rejected by people constantly wasn't Squid Game 
for like yes it was Squid Game was rejected for yeah yeah for a crazy long time (laughs) yeah yeah. which is mad can you imagine sleeping on that just being like no this sounds stupid yeah god I'd say they are raging they'd they'd have to be sacked straight away they'd have to be sacked I wouldn't go anywhere near them absolutely (laughs) but then you see then then there's on the other hand where you see stuff that gets made that's so formulaic you're just like and it does it not that it does well but you know it has medium success like it makes a profit and you're Mm. just like why does shit like this get made? I know. It's, it's, I would imagine. It's just it's because they know it's going to make a profit. They yeah. have their audience and like, and it's great. Those films need to exist, but they also need to not dominate. Yeah. There has to be space for others. That's you why know? I was fine. Like my dad, like who you met today, like mm. when, when he picks an action film, he watches the most bog standard, terrible action films mm. I've ever seen. Mm. Like that I've ever seen. And then he gives out about them being shit. It was like, you're watching them. <laughs> <laughs> you're making these films get made. You're part of the issue. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I I totally I get it in a sense you know because I think that like sometimes sometimes you need like sometimes you need to know what's gonna happen like you're just in a mood where you're feeling a bit fragile and you just need something easy to watch and you need to like know what's gonna happen and just trust that it's not going to take you on any mad surprises now I don't often want that but there are times yeah. when I definitely want it you know I, I remember years ago I was going out with a girl and she was like "You have you ever watched The Notebook and I was just like <laughs> I, I was like I don't want to watch The Notebook I was like 17 or whatever I was like ew but uh, I was like oh fine I'll watch it and I guessed the entire plot within the first 10 minutes of it <laughs> and she was just like how did you do that I was like it is so obvious what is going on with this movie she was furious <laughs> that happened to me the other day with Titanic oh really oh no oh, God, for fuck's sake <laughs> I actually did watch Titanic the other day for the first time in Does a it hold long up? time um, so I used to be obsessed with that movie okay. I kind of feel like I was on the Titanic in a past life I just have a real affinity with it it's bizarre were you Rose? Uh, maybe I was Rose um, <laughs> but I used to I had it on DVD and I just would watch it like over and over again the movie's like three and a half hours long I was gonna long, say like, it's long yeah. and it's so sad but um, I had to take a big long 10 year break from it then you know and the other night I watched it um, and it is I, I still love it but like, oh my God, the amount of times that they say in the first hour of that film, this ship, ship is unsinkable. This well, ship will never sink. To be you fair, know? because they did keep saying that <laughs> they when did. the ship has been made. <laughs> they, they, <did. laughs> they really hammered home in the yeah. film. Though. And then there was something about like no Catholics were allowed on it. So people believe the ship was cursed for ages because all the Catholics got put in the bottom of it. Oh, no way. Did you know that? I didn't hear that. Yeah, bit. there was some, I can't, there was like, there's something about the, there's something papal written on the side of it. That was mm. to do with the Pope. And they reckon that once it would set sail, it was cursed because of that. Oh. They used yeah. to also say that ginger women weren't allowed on ships. The ship would sink if a ginger woman was on it. Too right. Um, and I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure there was a fair few ginger women on. The I would Titanic. imagine so. Yeah. Also, weirdly enough, the ship in Vikings Valhalla, which I'm on sank at oh, one really? point and I'm ginger so <laughs> now that's 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 some eerie shit right there. <laughs> um, oh that's yeah. hilarious mm. yeah no the film that I watched I think everybody has that one film as a, as a when they're growing up that they watch constantly mm. but mine was Scarface I watched it so many times wow um, oh my dad let me away with some like we I've said, I said this before in the podcast there used to be a guy in the X Division in Stillorgan that I, I don't know if it's because he wasn't from Ireland 
if he just didn't get the age or anything or he just really didn't care but we were able to go in at like nine or ten years of age and just get whatever film that we wanted mm. and got away with it from yeah. like i mean like what about us it was some of the most violent films <laughs> i've ever seen were when i was like nine or ten but scarface was in particular one that i was able to yeah. recite from memory pretty much wow for, right for through That's it's not good, good. <laughs> well i mean it's a good film three and a half so... hours long as well and you would just sit down because i had a port do you, do you ever have the portable dvd player yeah yeah i had one of, of those and just watch it in bed you all day great do you remember getting on the airplane and having one of those yeah, yeah. Like a celebrity, like, <laughs> so good um i haven't seen scarface since I was probably too young to see it as well. Yeah. So I can't really remember. I actually, I'll have to it's rewatch it. It's quite good. Um, like, yeah, it's, I don't know if it, I, it, I suppose it does hold up. But one thing that I just drive me mad is uh, Abacino's accent in it is like really weird in it. I think he is does it? it. I think he does it bizarre on purpose because it's so like, because it's, it's like, um, trying to think of some other people like Marlon Brando when he does Godfather even though I hate Marlon oh, yeah. Brando as a person yeah. but uh, like that kind of thing you yeah. know just doing a weird voice didn't for the he sake put of like it. cotton wool he put um, cotton swabs in his mouth yeah to make him yeah, give that yeah. extra thing also when he uh, is shot in that film I actually only watched The Godfather for the first time about three years ago um, really? yeah I know <laughs> I know. Um, it does hold up. Like it, it really is one of those films. But did you not like no. it? No. <laughs> oh. And I know it's of its time, but I was just like, where are all the women? It's oh, yeah, so well, male yeah. dominated, and I and like any female character in it, it is just like hysteric mess. You know. What's the film? To, it, I don't even know if it's, uh, it's for a film, but it's the the test that they do if there's two female characters oh, that talk what's about. Oh, And most most films fail it. Yeah. Yeah. Godfather I was definitely just not reading get about it. this the other day. <laughs> Um. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember now. Um. I'll do just. Yeah, the, I, the Godfather just do fails. Thing it. Okay. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. Sure. Aren't most most women are in that film? I think. I think like there's two cases of fridging in that film where a female is in the film just to be killed to motivate the mm. person to do something mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Fridging is a term from. It's a comic book term, but you've probably have you ever I've heard never of heard it? of it. No. It's it's based. I think it was like Green Lantern comes home and finds that his wife is dead in a fridge. And she's only in the story to die so that she motivates him to do something. So the term is fridging and it's in so many films. It's in like Deadpool 2. The first Deadpool, like I'm not a big, I'm not as much of a comic book nerd as I used to be in terms of the films I used to watch. But Deadpool has this whole thing about this kind of cool, she's his love interest, but she's her own character as well. Mm. And in the second one, they just sideline her completely just so that he has a revenge of a weird arc and it's, yeah, it's so me. annoying it happens all yeah. the time yeah. <laughs> but no look I know I also I know Godfather is a good film I just uh, I just was watching it at a particularly sensitive time of just seeing women be fucked over in film over and over again that I I think I had that attitude going into it so it wasn't a good starting point but what I was going to say about it is uh, Marlon Brando's death yeah. like not his death when he gets shot yeah. at the start the fruit and, stand and he's like standing beside a car and he like goes onto the bonnet of the car and he rolls he rolls about four times <laughs> and I was like there's no one in the world that could ever get away with that except for him like you know well I don't know if you remember James Caan's death in that film where he's being shot for about two <laughs> minutes straight <laughs> yeah. That's so, so true. There, yeah. Two in one film yeah well done <laughs> so I know that you're is is uh Quicksand is coming out this year, is it? Yes. Would you mind telling me a little bit about this? Because I find this, I find anybody who's able to make their own short film actually get, it, it's just incredible. And you're starring in it Thanks. as well, which is amazing. Um. Yeah, so Quicksand is my short film that I wrote 
probably 2021 in around then um and i kind of shopped it around to different directors got notes back in it and stuff and then when i was working on vikings i uh met pollyanna mcintosh who plays queen alfia view <laughs> uh in that and <laughs> we just became kind of pally she lived down the road from me so i asked her to read the script and she did and she really liked it and she's got a good bit of directing under her belt as well you know so she um asked if she could direct it which i was like yes obviously um (laughs) so so then she because i really wanted a female director on it as well the film's about a female sex addict so i thought it was just important that we had um predominantly female crew um on board um and we were really lucky in that sense we actually did get them but it wasn't easy it wasn't always easy um so yeah the film was shot over the summer last year it was like a five-day shoot it was supposed to be four mm. even with five it wasn't enough it was a ambitious <laughs> script when i first wrote it i think it was 34 pages long and i managed to get it down to 15 but it's still about 22 oh, wow. minutes long you know okay um so yeah i think i had oh, i can't even remember how many locations it was it was something dumb like it was something like 18 locations for a short yeah oh wow okay. I know. <laughs> Moved around a lot because yeah. it's a day in the life of a sex addict. So yeah. she, she has to kind of come in contact with a lot of people and go to a lot of places. So essentially, like, it's her her whole secret life unraveling in this mm. one day, you know. Um, And she like she finds out she's pregnant at the beginning of the film. That's not a spoiler because you literally find, yeah. find out. In you see, the it, in, you see it in the blurg as well for the film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, So you find out she's pregnant and she kind of has to deal with that and you know, how is she going to keep it from her partner and blah, blah, blah. So she has to come in contact with a lot of people and uh, and that meant writing a lot of locations and a lot of characters. Um, and it worked in the end, but like we pulled in favours left, right and centre <laughs> for that. Like it was it was ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I would have loved two weeks to shoot that rather than five days because... Uh, yeah, five tense. days for 18. Okay, that's that's a lot of work. Like. Yeah, it was a huge amount. We were really lucky in that like we got Trinity as a location um, okay. and you can make Trinity look like a load of different places, you know. So that meant that when we shot one day in Trinity, we kind of like ticked off like five locations line. or yeah. something, you know. And even in my house where we shot some of the film, we were able to uh, make it look like three or four people's houses, you know. So oh, there was fantastic. a lot of that going on. Um so yeah, we 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 made it work, but it was uh it was a real kind of yeah. jigsaw to get it to to work. <laughs> and like it's it how do you get in cuz I've I've seen scenes <clears throat> from it cuz I saw it in your show. How cuz it seems like a very emotionally heavy film. Yep. Like, how, like even I don't know how you make yourself cry. Like how do you get into that how do you approach a scene like that? Like do you men- do you psych yourself up or Yeah, so I mean it I managed to write myself a part where she's having like the most traumatic day of her life. So <laughs> so <laughs> it was really intense to do. Um like I've been acting you know, since I was four, but like professionally since I was yeah, like 19, 20 and around then, you know, um, and like roles have definitely affected me. Mm. But this was because it was, you know, 12 hours a day and every scene was like the world was battering her a little bit or she was battering herself. Yeah. Um, After a while, it became 
it just became my natural state of being like as I was going through it which is really sad that's to funny, say. I was about to say that's funny and really sad at I the know. same time like really sad I know like you t- would you take it home with you type of thing or, yeah, yeah so that's what I was going to say that's never really happened to me that I haven't been able to like get rid of the character but um I was really lucky that we had a, an intimacy coordinator um, who I could call, you know, mm. so an intimacy coordinator would be there now if there's any scenes of a sexual nature or any kind of intimate scenes in general, you know, um, to make sure that everyone's comfortable and it's choreographed and blah, 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 blah. Mm. But we shot and I think we'd done, it was the third day and that night when we finished, I just couldn't stop crying. Like I was like, this is, I feel like this is never going to end. Like, I, and I couldn't even tell you what I was crying about. It was just like, yeah, my just, body just was in like days, yeah. a state of like, uh, it was fight or flight and it was definitely it was just very stressful so the next morning I woke up and I was still just crying you know and my director said listen I think you should call the intimacy coordinator because we're also going to Limerick later on today so I had to drive to Limerick so I couldn't like drive with tears in my eyes (laughs) so I called her and she was brilliant she was so great um she you know kind of helped me come back to myself you know so um she gave me some really good tips and stuff of like when you when you finish for the day and you're taking off the the costume take it off like really mindfully so that you're taking her off and you know keep telling yourself I'm Siobhan I'm not Sal and like you know pick out five blue things in the room so you just ground yourself ground yourself ground yourself and that was really helpful um but yeah it was tough um yet very rewarding because mm. it was well the performance is great so oh thank yeah, you very no, much it is, it's fantastic thank <laughs> it you made, like i was because I, I watched when you showed me then i obviously was watching it to prepare for the for this interview and then mm. just seeing the scene I was like this is making me uncomfortable and I was like, I'm not, <laughs> like i'm not even i'm not there Do you know yeah. <laughs> also i have to say what really helped with that as well is having such an amazing crew and mm. cast and stuff that we're we're able to we were all able to kind of lift each other up, you know, yeah. and like, I feel like, like particularly my makeup artists and my director and whoever else, you know, like the makeup artists are with you between every scene to fix you up and stuff. And they were um, just so full of joy. It was Madonna and Roisin. And if if you ever listen to this, thank you so much. Because they, <laughs> they were brilliant, you know, they would just lift your spirits and you needed that break. Yeah to go into the next thing like because yeah, it should be like an element of fun I would imagine making oh, something yeah. like, especially oh, when God. you've written it yourself so absolutely yeah. I had the most crack ever doing that as as emotional as it all was like it was <laughs> it was so much fun it was like one of the happiest I'd been you know and yeah. to see so many people come together like this was just a story that was in my head two years before you know and then all these people come together and lift it from my head and, and just add to it and build on it and bring their own expertise to it and um give their time and energy and everything and it was I felt so like honored you know yeah. that that was happening and so excited to be a part of something that was just I could see it coming to life in front of me you know and it's amazing like also by the way you, I just had to mention that you got Liam Cunningham in it as well which yeah. is fantastic. <laughs> big Liam Cunningham fan by the way oh really genuinely. <laughs> he was in a music video that I was also in but I didn't have any I didn't have any scenes with him it was shot here and shot okay. in town I was like, do you think I could get to meet Liam? And they're like, no, Barry, you want me to meet Liam? <laughs> and then I was at, I remember I was at the premiere for Ford versus Ferrari. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Uh, and he was there and I was like, oh, I should go up to him. And then just was next to him and just like, no. <laughs> so, oh, oh, he's a gent. Yeah, say, I've heard he's said hello really, back. really nice. Yeah. He's lovely. Um, So he did a film years ago with Pollyanna, who was the director. Um, 
and mm. they've just been friends ever since so we were looking for someone to play the barman which is it's really funny because it's actually a barman in my favorite role of, that he's in as well which so, one uh, harry brown he's the bartender in that oh i haven't seen that harry brown's brilliant michael okay. caine film really, oh, okay really yeah, yeah yeah oh nice um but yeah he it's a really small part you know i kind of wrote it as a little bit of comic relief because uh the film needed some comic relief yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so <Fair. laughs> i wrote this like you know typical like irish barman like yeah. it, you know just kind of sick of all the shit that goes on in their bar and just uh, you know but also kind of full of chat um so i wrote this barman and polly had sent it to liam and he read the script and he liked it and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll play the barman. So he was like, <laughs> definitely, you know, kind of doing me a favor. Um, but yeah, he was just, he was lovely and he yeah. was, he was such a good crack to work with. Like, yeah. And uh, when, when is Quicksand actually coming out, by the way? I actually don't know yet because it'll do the festival circuit, hopefully. So at the moment, it's kind of just about finished the edit. Um, we had a few problems during the edit and just like losing people along the way for yeah. different reasons and stuff. Um, so, so yeah, it's it took a little bit longer than expected, but we're hoping that if it gets into Galway, that might be the premiere. Although that seems quite late. I'm not sure is not the sure. answer. Okay. <laughs> this well, year at some point. We'll take a note, we'll, uh, we'll take a note on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, this is the next part of the podcast where I start asking you just questions if we were drunk in a bar. Uh, the first one would be, what do you think is the most underrated performance that people don't talk about in a film or TV show? Um, hmm. I put this down and I don't even know the answer to it. I was like, that's mean. But anyway, it's there. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know why her name's not coming to... Sorry, Tony Collette in Hereditary. Oh, very good. Yes, absolutely. No Oscar nomination. Uh, no she was Oscar. robbed. She was robbed. <laughs> I stand by that. Was she, was she nominated? I no, don't think she was. Not for no, hereditary, no. I don't know if she's ever been nominated, has she? Power of Google. Power but, uh... of Google. But she was absolutely robbed for nomination of that. That was an unbelievable for performance. For the role, because I don't want to give any spoilers, even though if you haven't seen Hereditary, I don't know what the hell you're doing in terms of if you're a horror fan. But even just for the scene where it's Gabriel Byrne's character consoling her with her just going back and oh forth God. on the floor. I was like, that felt so real. That whale like, yeah, was yeah. like, she was a like keening, like yeah, old she, school Irish, like keening. <laughs> literally says the line, I just want to die over. And it's mm. like, and I remember I just, Hereditary was one of those films that the first time I saw it, um, I felt so uncomfortable because I want to see it on my own. I look, because there's a cinema just over there. I have the Limitless card. Should I tell that story? I got away with not having to pay Limitless for a very long time. Um, I mean, like seven years. But uh, anyway. <laughs> Good on you. Uh, yeah, they just never charged me for it, so it's great. But uh, they're never going to listen. <laughs> I don't know. My name's not on the podcast. But um, so I would go to cinema all the time, but I went to see Hereditary on my own. And one of the things that really, it just was one of those films that I just felt like there was, and it was sold out. There was nobody else. There was, it was packed. I just felt like there was nobody else in the room when I was watching it. Mm. It was so ingor. I'd never seen a horror film like it. Mm. I still haven't really seen much horror films like it. No, me neither. Um, but the thing that really fucking annoyed me was when it finished was that afterwards, there was a bunch of teenagers behind me and all I could hear was them going, that was shit. Like, I didn't jump once. And it's uh, like, oh my God, you've no idea what you just watched. Oh my God. <laughs> I thought that was a masterpiece. Like, Ooh. I just couldn't. I was the same. Like, I don't think I've ever had such a vi visceral experience to film in my whole life. Like, I, I've never been so uncomfortable watching anything but like in all the good ways that a horror yeah. movie should I got be, so into it that I was like is Payman real so I was reading demonology books on him and I was like this is so cool and you find <laughs> out that 
Like there's a theory that he's actually inside Charlie. So you know. That, Wait, which one? Oh, Charlie's the daughter. Charlie's the daughter. Yeah. But because it has to take a male, it never was able to become to uh, mm. like uh, maturity. So that's why Charlie is as strange as she is. Oh, I think I read that theory actually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was such a film. But I think Tony Clatt was... Uh, that was one of the best things I've ever seen yeah. her do, you know? And again, no spoilers, but at the very end, the, her last, like, 20 minutes in the film is mm. just... It's, <laughs> the moment at the table with the family when she oh, gets yeah. up and screams yeah. at the son, like... Yeah. I am your mother! <laughs> yeah, it's so powerful. Yeah. I felt like she was screaming at me, you know? It was just so, so good. Because that's what I found really funny about Ari Aster, the director of it, and writer, when he was talking mm. about it, he goes, it is a family drama at heart. I was like... <laughs> But I see it. <laughs> I see it. I see what yeah. he means. And like Midsummer as well. Like the two of them side by side are just absolutely. Florence Pugh ma- should have been nominated. As she well. should have been nominated yeah. for that. She should. She's the she's due a nomination. Any- Again, the whaling scene. <laughs> yeah. How does he get that guttural whale out of both of them? <laughs> both like, of them, yeah. Um. Yeah. I thought that. And isn't there? I think I read before that it's like Midsummer is about. Um. It's they're kind of. Um. Not a trilogy, but when it's just two, what would that be called? Oh, I don't a know. Double a double bill? Double bill. Maybe? Because well, the next one's apparently a comedy. And I was just like, if, if oh. from the judging by the trailer, I was like, that doesn't look like a comedy. Back in Phoenix is <laughs> one. There's a trailer for it out already. I don't think I... I it's think I heard based of... based off what... an early short that he did years ago. Oh, okay, so cool. So they're making into a feature now. But um, yeah, the trailer's out, but it, it doesn't look like a comedy. <laughs> okay, well, if if Hereditary's a family, a family drama, drama yeah. then I don't think I trust Ari Aster in uh, giving me the genre of his films. Mits- I don't know, Midsommar, like the main inspiration behind it was, um, oh, what the hell's that film called? The Wicker Man was apparently a big inspiration on it, but oh, that's just, yeah. just for the cult aspect of it. I can't remember what the other mm. stuff in it. But what that was like, that was the thing, wasn't it, with Midsummer? It was about what it looks like to be inside a cult, and Hereditary was what it looks like to be outside, outside. a cult, looking oh, in. I never even put that together. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think that it's the same. They're actually the same cult. Um, Are they? Oh, maybe I shouldn't say too much because it's going to be spoiler heavy. But there's some sort of link. Now, this might just be fan theory. I think that, uh, ooh, I can't. I, I can't remember if this was backed up by Ari Aster or not. But I. Th- think there's supposed to be some sort of link between the actual cults involved interesting have to look that up now yeah i do i remember i went on a deep dive about a deep dive about midsummer and like what it Mm. represents and all that kind of carry on and even in the there's certain points in the in the script if you read the script that will tell you who's killing who but they won't tell they don't show because no you don't see anybody get killed in the film which is one of the oh wow yeah oh I'd love to read that yeah, script actually yeah it's pretty good say it's an interesting one to read uh, so actually while we're talking about horror films what is one of your favourite horror films it's probably I'm going to guess it's probably Hereditary it's, it? yeah it's gonna it's Hereditary um, I, but I'd say like I mean okay I'm going to say two because okay. I think the Shining is just incredible. Yeah. A piece of Stephen King would argue with you and he wrote it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He hates it. He hates it, it right? Yeah, he hates it. I think I was listening to a podcast about that recently. He but yeah, he, he made his own it. one. It sucks. I haven't seen it. I don't have version. to look at That's his own That's why Dr. Sleep, the, the the sequel film, yeah. is half the book of Dr. Sleep and half the book, half the film, The Shining. Okay. Because because he's, the director was like, come on, they know The Shining film more than they know the book. Yeah, yeah. The book yeah. is very different. Um, I actually haven't read it. It's good. It it's Jack's descent into madness is a little bit better. Okay. But one of the things that if you're a Stephen King fan, and I am, oh, I was a huge Stephen King fan. I used to read his books all the time. Just kind of went off it, but he he can never end a book. His mm. endings for books are always mm. 
Except for Carrie. Carrie actually ends very well. Carrie's great. It has the benefit of being very short. Yeah, I was just about to say it's yeah. a lot smaller, isn't it? Yeah. It's a novella, technically. Like, it's tiny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The platform... Oh, the Spanish film. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was brilliant. Oh, it was yeah. so good. I don't know if I would say it's my favorite. No, but it's part, an interesting concept. But like, I just, film, yeah. yeah, it's, 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 it's something well I've seen recently yeah. that I'm like, that was class. And I've watched it twice now. And like, both times, it, it also leaves you with a lot of questions, you know. I think like, it's, uh, to me, it felt like it was about capitalism, and that's probably quite obvious. Maybe I, I'm trying to say something no, profound I, I, here, I but it needs to be any more profound than that. Like it, it that, that's literally what it, I think. That, that's, that's a very good example. Yeah, of what it is, yeah. yeah. Um, but the ending of it, it just like really sat with me and played with me. And then the second time I watched it, knowing like the thoughts I'd had around it the first time, mm. and I was watching it the second time, I felt like so much more was revealed to me. And I think that's the beauty of that film is that it's just got a lot of layers to it, you know. Um. And it's such a good, it's such a, like, yeah, it's just such a, it's just such good writing in terms of the human condition yeah. and like how we can spiral and how we can turn each other and greed and, and good and bad and like, you know, all of these kind of big themes, but all within this, like, essentially big tunnel like yeah. you know <laughs> horizontal tunnel I was shocked at how brutal they went with it because I kind of had the because it's Netflix you don't really get to see the age kind of thing do you know what I mean you don't really mm. see a trailer you kind of just go oh that looks interesting so I'll pop it all on like I never really check the parental guide on mm. mine to be just go oh. so when I was watching it when the first kind of really depraved thing happens in it that some of the characters do too so I was like oh my god yeah, <laughs> yeah it gets real dark gets real, real quick real dark <laughs> the dog yeah it's yeah <laughs> have you ever seen the house that Jack built no I would advise do you have you do you, are you a fan of Lars von Trier's work uh, give me another one he did Melancholia oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah destroyed uh, Kirsten Dunst's chance of getting an Oscar with a terrible interview where he claimed that he sympathised with Hitler but anyway oh great yeah. perfect he's a very mentally unwell man but I, he does I only, films <laughs> I saw that years and years and years ago and I'm not going to lie I was very stoned when I watched Melancholia. it Melancholia and I don't really remember you watched that stoned yeah oh god I know it's one of the most depressing films in the world I know and I think I was really confused throughout the whole thing so yeah. <laughs> so because <laughs> I, I can't smoke weed so yeah. somebody who who like immediately doesn't understand what's happening after one drag of a joint should probably not have smoked a joint and then watch that film. But that's what I did. So I won't count it as I've seen it Fair. because I didn't really. Well, has Jack built his, it's like a serial killer going through the six moments of violence that summarize their whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Matt Dillon playing him, but it's, I, I think you find if you ever get horror film recommendations off me, um, one of the things that I just like pure hopeless films. I don't mm. like, can't stand the conjuring and that kind of stuff. I like really just mm. hopeless movies and the house that Jack built is one of them. <laughs> it is what I remember watching with a friend of mine and he was just like, I don't even, I don't even know if I like this. He goes, it's so horrible. <laughs> it's, it's not in the sense that it's like extremely violent. Mm. Like it, it's violent, but it doesn't really, it's just, it's the, he it, it taught, it's the way that he, it's a very good film. I'll put it okay. that way. I don't want to ruin anything, but okay. it's, um, has great uh, cameos in it, like Uma Thurman's in it. She's oh, like, amazing. Really, yeah, she's like in the first, because it's it's like six, it's kind of like six short films in sequence of each other mm. that are six different points, but uh, no, it's very, very good. But yeah. Lars von Trier is one of those. I do like his work, 
but um, it's it's very hard to like him. If that yeah, makes sense. yeah, yeah, yeah. That always ruins stuff for me. It's I really like. Annoying, yeah. I find that like with um, it's like I can't watch Woody Allen films. Just mm, I can't like. Yeah. And people are just like, but Annie Hall is fantastic. I'm just like, oh, I just. It's like Rick and Morty has just recently oh, Rick and been Morty's ruined gone for me. For me yeah. It literally, I was it was on in the background the other day, and I couldn't even listen to Justin Roiland's voice. Mm. You know, it was just it was an it was annoying all of a sudden. He had a video game called High in Life that just came out that mm. I really wanted to play, and then that happened. I was like, I can't even play. I can't play it because he's yeah. just. But you know what the weird thing is? He he commented saying that um he's like because he got away with the domestic abuse charges. Oh, and great! I was, and he was just like, he goes, I knew people were making lies about me. I was like, uh, yeah, we're not all we're annoyed about that, but yeah. we're also talking about the messages to underage the evidence, gr- like the, the, black to, and to white teenagers that you've been doing. Yeah, and he hasn't addressed that at all. It's it's, yeah, it's, it's just, just there's no like there's no question mark over it. Like that he did that and it's gross and he's a dirty little curve yeah. it's funny but like somebody gave out to me for really liking Lars von Trier um, and like they make films and then about 20 minutes later they told me that their favourite director was Roman Polanski and I was just like oh what? for god's sake come on I'm not messing and I remember sitting there kind of going you just fucking had the, like finger wagging and everything yeah and just, like I don't, by the way, I don't love his work. My favorite director is Edgar Rice. Just a caveat mm-hmm. there that like that's one hundred percent. But I do like. I think find him an interesting filmmaker. Well, it's anyway. hard though. Like it is. There's a big question around that, isn't there? Like of like separating the artist from the art. I find you know? it very difficult, particularly it, in music. I find it very difficult. Mm, yeah. Like, how do you feel about watching? Like, say, for instance, um, can you? Are you able to do it? Like, or does it depend on? The kind of like I can't watch Martin Brando and stuff. He just mm. annoys the fuck out of me. Mm. Like, are you as an act, as an actor seeing seeing this kind of stuff? Are you able to kind of separate it normally or in like the artist and the art? Yeah. Um, I think in in those circumstances, like we were just talking about, you know, like with Justin Roiland or, or Woody Allen and stuff, like I do find it difficult. Um, because I just can't. I can't. Uh, like particularly I think with something this is this is a bit uh, shitty of me really you know but like particularly with something like Rick and Morty where so many of the jokes are so crass mm. that now they just have a different meaning mm. you know and also with Woody Allen's films where a lot of the time it's an older dude with a younger young lady, yeah, younger yeah. lady so it's the same kind of thing there um, when it's so kind of blatant in yeah. the work it's really hard then to separate the artist from the art you know and I get why people um, want to do like I mean like Bukowski, like the poet, you know, he also was a bit of a wanker, but was he's, he? Yeah, he know. just he was just really misogynistic oh, okay. and like. Um, Lars von Trier has also been accused of that as well, but okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I can still read his poems and and appreciate them for being really beautifully mm. written poetry. You know, it's not really to my taste, to be honest, but I can appreciate that it's really well written. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess I kind of I think it depends on on what the art it is. It is very difficult. You know? It's like I remember even the one, um, the one big one I used to love watching uh, American Beauty. Like I know it's not the most amazing film in the world, but mm. I always liked it. And now just with Kevin Spacey, you're just like oh, and especially yeah, in the role. I know. But there's certain yeah, it's just it's it's very very annoying. I can, yeah. but I can sometimes with film, especially if they're you know they're made up to look like somebody different. Like I I love Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder, but I wouldn't really look at him in anything else yeah yeah but with music I find it very difficult mm. uh, like I remember seeing Lost Prophets a month before the news came out about oh. Ian Watkins that that hurt yeah yeah <laughs> obviously it hurt a lot more for the victims but uh, Jesus it was that was a bizarre mm. it is strange like my friends are to the opinion that you should just get over it mm. but it just especially when you look I think it's when you really liked it when you really like it then to see it through a different lens 
in the shape of in the, in the space of just reading one headline almost it, mm. it is kind of hard to deal with it's also on how much information you get from um like the side of the abused you know yeah, yeah. like what you're reading or what you're seeing and how much you kind of connect in with that and like like the, we should automatically just we we shouldn't need all the information or the details you know but like we are human beings and the more we hear about how someone felt you know we are just going to naturally empathize with mm. them more you know so i think that like you know michael jackson for example like that oh, was example, yeah. all we all we heard was was stories from victims and you know and then that finding neverland documentary came out and like i i can't listen to any of his music now because mm. like it was so like the pain was so blatant from you, the other side do you, you know? know but it's also kind of a, a statement in just to how famous that he actually was is that there's still people that are like do you think he was guilty though and it's oh, like, i know <laughs> come couldn't we bloody clear like it's... <laughs> no smoke without fire like <laughs> yeah. ah, there's a lot of feckin' smoke right? yeah there's a lot of smoke there um, actually, that kind of yeah. ties into one of the questions that I have is um, if if there was something you could change about it doesn't have to necessarily be the Irish uh, acting scene or film scene but just the film scene in general hmm. what would it be? Um, I think uh, giving giving writers a bit more creative control trusting them mm. I think is really important you know um, I think that there's a lot of control from the funders and the um the producers and I think that's across the globe really you know but it can be very tiresome for a writer to be kind of continuously pushed into a place where the the funder or the producer is is guiding them to go or a lot of the time pushing them to go yeah. you know um <laughs> in saying that you know like the relationship is super important and it like they can have amazing amazing insights and I actually had an experience recently where I'd been writing this series for about three years and um, we applied for funding in October for Screen Ireland funding to move on to the next stage of development. Oh, fantastic. And we just got awarded it there last week. So Ooh, we're congratulations. Delighted. That's Thank amazing you. news. Thank you very much. So we're delighted, you know, but we'd set up a meeting then with the production company and um, and we we knew what had worked and what hadn't worked previously in our uh, working relationship with this company you know so we're kind of going into it going okay well you know there's things that I'm sure they want to flag with us in the same way that we want to flag with them you know so I went back and I read all the material to make sure you know that I liked what or that I knew what I was going in to say you know so I reread the script and it's funny because there's things that I absolutely stuck my sword in the sand for that I was like they're wrong in saying that this should change, you know? They're absolutely wrong and this has to stay this way and blah, blah, blah. And then when rereading the script, I was going, oh yeah, no, they were totally right. Oh, really? So having <laughs> having that like five month distance was yeah. really good. And I think, you know, it would have worked on both ways. I'm sure there's things that they told us to get rid of that we didn't, that's, that are right, you know? Mm. But it also was, there was stuff that we should have listened to or maybe we didn't have to listen to them, but now we are taking on board. So I don't want to, I don't want to like shit all over producers and funders because That's not without the them, this question anyway, so. yeah, <laughs> without them, they, uh, you know, the, the thing can't exist and their, their uh, advice is really valuable and their ideas are really valuable. But I think that there needs to be more creative control given to writers. And I think that kind of happens in the contractual stages, you know, of yeah. um, just trusting them. 
Do you think we're kind of in a moment now where we're seeing more kind of less formulaic stuff because of how much formulaic stuff are now failing at the box office? Yeah, I think so. I think if you look at the Oscars yeah. this year, you know, it's um, uh, you can't the formula is in everything. You know, there's everything that we see has the formula formula in it because that's just how stories are told. You know, but it's about seeing stuff that is not where the for, where the writing is is so good and the story is um so so well written that the formula is almost lost like it's it's been like beautifully buried mm. so that the audience doesn't feel like they know what's going to happen they're kind of delighted constantly throughout yeah, yeah. it and surprised constantly and that's not to say that the formula doesn't exist it just means that it's it's been it's been dealt with a long time ago and it's somewhere in the mix but there's all this exploration now around it that's created this kind of delightful thing you know um, like I mean, I think Banshees of Inisherin was one of the best films I've seen oh, in a long I time. Loved it, and yeah. I was constantly surprised and delighted throughout that. But it is—it's a hero's journey, you yeah. know, and it's a five-act formulaic structure. But it's just you don't feel it, you don't see it. But even like in relation to reward uh, to awards, this year for the Oscars was the first time I was kind of like, shit, who is going to win? You know, yeah, like, like, <laughs> like it was because the films were actually genuinely yeah. interesting. Like I knew Brendan Fraser was going to win. Now I was just like, I just had that in my head. But like to see Michelle Yeoh win for um, oh, yeah, like, I know. But and then Jamie Lee Curtis as well finally getting an Oscar the the ultimate the the OG scream queen. Yeah. like <laughs> it was absolutely. Great. Actually, sorry, that's a film. Everything, everywhere, all at once. That that is that's com- I still felt like that was completely <laughs> new. Oh I really? Still haven't seen oh, it. Need, so... I've been told by everybody at work to go watch it. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have haven't. you have to go watch it. But that's one where I feel like the hero's journey exists a million times over in all of the multiverses, and it's all kind of messy and mm. and like but works somehow. It's like me- it's chaos in a really refined way, and like it's. It's not, I've never seen anything like it. It's like just, it's almost a whole hour or two hours or whatever it is of like montages, but somehow it works Works. and tells a story and it's brilliant and sad and funny and all of that. (laughs) So I was delighted to see that win. Um, I think it deserved it, you know. Yeah, no, it it's uh, I just I just haven't got around to it, but I know. But I, the annoying thing is, it's on Amazon Prime, mm. and I keep seeing it. I'm just like, oh, I should watch it, but I just when do I sit down and watch something that I know that I already really loved? You know, like, yeah. I, like I want no distractions, no nothing. Yeah, Not yeah. to say that I'm overly busy, but just yeah, because I I know that I'll love it. Mm. Um, it's so funny that it's it, it's a multiverse film and it's like apparent. I was just like, so is it just like a bombastic like action film? I've been told no. It's like has family, it has heart, it has yeah, humor, it's that's pretty it. Pretty much everything in it. Yeah, that's actually that's something really interesting. You just said that heart, like because I think that's what we're losing in film, you know. And mm. I think all the films that got that were nominated for Oscars this year, that was that was so strong in mm. every single one of them. The heart of the family or the heart of um. Uh, the friendship and you know all, all of this like they had so much heart and just in comparison to the films that are kind of Hollywood blockbuster um, Marvel formulaic sorry any Marvel fans but like I just feel like the, there isn't there isn't a heart in the way that those ones have well I think Marvel fans will even tell you now because they're the films are not doing well at the box office anymore mm. and Marvel fans are even sick of watching the same film yeah. over and over and over yeah. again yeah. like there's 30 films in the series now I think mm. Kevin Feige actually released yesterday that they're slowing down their film, their fil- the rate, their the rate of films that they're making. Probably a good move because they're making too many. Yeah, 
and they're making too many you said they're making too many TV shows as well well how can you but protect you're in the market like exactly like yeah. there has to be something really like delicate about a film even if it's an action film there has to be something like it's like holding a feather in your hand and you have to protect yeah. it and that's <laughs> that's what that's what and you can build around that and put all the bombs and guns and whatever you need into it but I feel like it's so delicate that if you make 30 films in 10 minutes you're not going to be yeah. able to protect that little feather you know yeah because you see the <laughs> amount of like even working what well, didn't work I was an extra in my friend's film and happened to get a line at it, which was great. But um, <laughs> but you see the amount of people that goes into doing all this, this like the level of work that goes into making a film should not be, let's just churn it out. Let's put some effort yeah, into it. Because totally. obviously if it's, I don't think there's anything more irritating than watching a bad film, mm. and especially in the cinema, having to sit there going, I've paid what, 13 euro to see this thing and mm. it's not good. Yeah, 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 <laughs> totally. Yeah. Speaking of actually, what's uh, what's kind of your go to like if you were to go, oh, this is this is the film that I could watch over and over and over again and not get bored. What would it be? Um, Pan's Labyrinth. Really, yeah. I love that film as well. It's so film. good, yeah. so good. I'm actually just reading the script of it at the moment because. Did you ever see the journals for it? No. So Guillermo del Toro, the the director, obviously mm. you know that, but he he has these amazingly intricate art journals that he does for every he does them for every film mm. where he draws the creatures out he draws the sets oh, wow. out and they're gorgeously done they're all in his very distinct style you can see them on google they are Ooh, I'll beautiful check that out. give them a look yeah but the Definitely. ones for Pan's Labyrinth are because Pan's Labyrinth from start to finish is just a, it's a complete delight to watch as horrible as it is in parts it's yeah. such a fantastic fantasy it's film so it's amazing brilliant. it's yeah. so amazing like, to use the backdrop of World War 2 like the yeah. like Castro's uh yeah, Fido. No, not Castro. Jesus. Um, Castro's the Cuban dude. What's your man's name from um, Spain? Franco? Franco. Yeah, Franco. Franco. To <laughs> <laughs> use the backdrop of that with the child's fantasy. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful... It is. I think it's a gorgeous movie. I think it's as just one of the... It is yeah, <laughs> it's horrible, but I think it's just one of the best examples of how magic realism can be. Like, yeah. such a tool to... Uh, engage audiences you know yeah. that like you're never too old for a little bit of magic like, but even and like the set design and everything takes so like, it has beautiful. that kind of like almost like that 1980s kind of aspect of it mm. like it remind me of some almost of Labyrinth but it's like there's not really any spe- there's, I don't think there's, bar- there's barely any special effects in it just mm. it just has that beautiful kind of um, I don't know old school level yeah, of filmmaking totally, to it but yeah. it looks new at the same yeah, time yeah 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 it almost feels like puppetry or something yeah. when you're watching. It's so beautiful. So that one or Spirited Away, I think those would be oh, the two that I could just well. watch over and over again. There's a scene in Spirited Away that traumatized me as a child. And oh, that's which where one? the spirit kind of loses itself and starts eating people. Do you remember where it goes? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember going like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite traumatizing because yeah. it's such a shift. Like, yeah, And his hand, the way it comes out and it like melts <laughs> around the neck almost. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, that film is so, so beautiful to me. I saw that as a kid and I probably watch it like once a year. It's just amazing. Oh, Life of Brian as well. I could watch that Re- over and over again. Do you know, <laughs> did you know the behind scenes thing, scene about the biggest dickest scene? Uh, I feel like I do. I feel like this is ringing a bell. Tell me the about it. The extras weren't, were told if they laughed, they wouldn't get paid. So, no, I didn't so know that's, that. So that's why he keeps going around. He goes, what's so funny? Uh, <laughs> biggest dickest. <laughs> So that's totally real. Like yeah, that yeah, reaction. Try not to laugh as they were told they would not that be paid. That is so if they funny because that's scene. one of the best scenes. It's the best scene. Yeah. 
or it's that so that or the lo- you lucky bastard i just <laughs> because like i come from a very religious family so to mm. see something like that when i was like 12 was just a- amazing yeah to co- be able to call out the church and stuff yeah but the scene was like so there was three people what's their names it doesn't matter what their names are but we can't have a story if there's no names <laughs> it's so just good amazing, i know? actually i had that on dvd when i was again when i was a kid and it was one of those ones i just watched over and over again you know um and then I watched it again. I like took a long 10 year break and yeah. then I watched it again for the first time when I was like 18. And only then did I realize that it's all the same actors, like that they're yeah, the playing time, loads yeah. of different characters, <laughs> which is a real testament to them that yeah. I didn't notice it when I was 12 or 13 or whatever. Well, but like it's also like those films is funny because they were so they were shot on such shit budgets as well. Yeah. Uh, like famously in the, in the Holy Grail. They couldn't afford horses, mm. which is why the squires go around clapping coconuts together, which is the sound that they use to make horse claps and yeah. films. But there's like, we can't afford horses, so just have somebody just randomly so bash coconuts together. It's so stupid, but it so works for the, how ridiculous the films are. I was listening oh. to somebody. A pod, do you ever listen to the podcast Do Go On? No. Um, it's like three uh, Australian comedians and they just choose a random topic each week and they kind of just chat about it, you know. And it was, yes, it was one of, one of the Beatles put the last of their money into they were pretty much bankrupt and they just put the last of their money into into the life of Brian to be made was it George Harrison yeah oh George Harrison I was I I thought it was Paul McCartney but no it was George George Harrison and he didn't he had no idea like (laughs) they didn't know that he was broke I'm pretty confident it was George I think you're right I think you're right um, but they didn't realize that he was broke when he did that, so he was just taking this massive risk. You know, it's probably good that they didn't because that pressure would have just oh, broke Jesus, them. Yeah. It's funny, like I know uh, for for the Holy Grail, um, apparently everybody fucking hated shooting the film because the director was so intent because they were in like the Scot and High- Scottish Highlands was getting with nice shots and getting like all this kind of carry on and, mm. and there's like it's a fucking comedy just get the shot it doesn't matter what way the lighting looks what way does it look <laughs> dragging us through the rain <laughs> and he's like no let's get it from here <laughs> Aww. he just wanted to do a good yeah. job and he did uh, he did um yeah I think those are my my three could watch them over I'm sure there's loads more that I'm missing right now but and if you could uh, if you could work with any director what would it be Martin McDonough. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, good answer, yeah. <laughs> that was um, very quick as well. Most people gave it a bit of thought. But not- <laughs> I'd love to work with Martin McDonough or Ari Aster. I'd also love to work with Ari Aster, but I just, I just feel really like... I don't know. Maybe it's just the Irish in me that feels mm. super connected to to his work and the way he tells stories. I think there's such an Irishness to it, even the oh, ones that yeah. are set in America, you know. Um, and I I think he's an amazing writer and an, an amazing director. And I would give my two arms, both of them, not both just them. my left. Funny enough, if you ever heard this, you were in a film, it just chops off both your arms. It's not. It wouldn't, wouldn't be. A, that wouldn't was be, the condition. <laughs> Wouldn't be out of uh, out of character for one of his movies. <laughs> yeah. I remember I watched Seven Psychopaths with my brother over COVID, and we were mm. just like, "Do you remember this film being this insanely violent?" <laughs> like it is. Like I know I it's actually, I have to rewatch it. I've only seen that once it's years so ago. So violent. Like we were we were actually sh- like we knew it was. I remember seeing it in cinema, and there's there's a couple of really funny violent scenes in it, but we were watching it kind of just at home. I was like, Jesus. it's a lot darker than I remember mm. it being. And then you were like, oh, Martin McDonough. You're like, oh, there. Oh, there, there we is. go. There, it makes sense. Um, I watched a short film, Six Shooter, there the other day. I have not, if my brother has seen it. He said it's brilliant. It's so it's good. Really good yeah. I actually, I had seen it years and years and years ago, but my friend um, was chatting to me about it and I just had forgotten about it entirely, you know. 
so we watched it and like within the first five minutes I was like oh yeah I have seen this but like it's just so clearly Martin Mc- he has such a stamp like he has such a voice a strong mm. voice in what he does and even back then Brendan Gleeson is incredible so <laughs> <laughs> I love Brendan Gleeson yeah he's so um, good so funny seeing him ha- like I don't watch SNL that often Saturday Night Live but mm. he has a brilliant skit where it's him as his old as his own age with three lads going to college together who are convinced that he's like 18 just graduating from the college <laughs> football team it's very funny please don't destroy is the name of the, the trio of them. please very don't destroy fun. oh check yeah, that Brandon out Gleason, it's very funny <laughs> but um yeah no i just Brendan Gleeson is one of those lads you just i was like i want to know you in real life i say he's such a sound person like, oh, i'd say it's a bit of crack like, yeah, yeah. yeah same with colin farrell yeah it was, I was actually it was watching a very funny it was colin farrell doing like a table read and he was talking about um he's talking he's like he's like being famous when you're young he goes it's one of the worst things that could ever happen to you he goes i remember justin bieber was getting given out to for he like he was the most hated person on the planet for throwing eggs at someone's house and it's like <laughs> if that's the worst thing he's done then he's fine he yeah. goes, you should see you should read some of the shit that i did when i was yeah definitely <laughs> at least when colin farrell was that age yeah, oh well he wasn't it. famous anyway but like yeah. any any kind of teenager that was famous back then didn't have the social media you know they yeah. were protected from at least being caught on camera the all the fucking famous time person on the world at 13 years of age mm, <laughs> i know bizarre colin farrell is like the, the turn he's taken in terms of how just he just sees like the most amazing person now but yeah he was like, in the noughties i don't know if you remember what he was like yeah but he was a bit of a head the ball <laughs> definitely and he got sober and yeah, that's not an easy yes, thing to do so um, also him in Banshee's Vinisher and that character I thought that was the best performance he's ever given Colin Farrell's quite, quite literally my favourite actor like I've I've always loved I've mm. always loved him as an actor I even liked him in Daredevil um, <laughs> but uh, no Banshee's Vinisher and he's, he's brilliant he in it. Yeah. blew my mind yeah. like I'd never seen him do something like that well, oh god course. that opening yeah. scene but um, no it's just it, yeah because Banshee's Vinisher is just one of those films like I found it very Beckett when I watched it it was like mm. there's something kind of you just know they're gonna. I can't say because it it's only just out, but mm. it, but his performance and it just is this clueless, like just so lovable, but so kind of like you probably are a fucking pain in the hole. Yeah, time that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a, that's another film. Just so many layers. Yeah. Like I couldn't stop thinking about it. Like to this day, I still go. I wonder was that what he was trying to say with it, or like you know, it's just it never it's never left me. Mm. It's do a rewatch definitely. And um, I get, well, I end every every podcast with this question, uh, believe it or not, we're at the end, uh, is what do you enjoy most about what you do? Um, that's actually kind of a, a hard question. Yeah, I um, always leave it to the end because that's what everybody loves in a podcast, the hardest question left at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's... I think it's a sense of like freedom I get from it, mm. you know, that, you know, when when I'm actually like playing a role or when I'm like in that space of creative flow, um, either in writing or or in acting, um, it's like transcending, you know, it just it feels like you're in a different space altogether, you know, and um, it, it's like liberates you from from the world that you're that we're in which can be real hard you mm. know and to add to that i think that it's really exciting to see how storytelling affects people and how what they take from it and 
how people um, take different things from it all the time, you know. Um, and like I remember doing this show in Longford last year. It's called Short Stories and Long Tales. And it was a physical theater show for kids. Oh, okay. Um, and physical theater is probably like in the theater world, my favorite kind of acting to do you know mm. um and it, so it was a like 40 minute maybe 30 minute even short little play um three tales from around the world so like salmon knowledge and then the equivalent oh, of like knowledge, you know sorry. those kind of old irish <laughs> yeah, folklore yeah. ones but like one i think was nigerian and the other one was polish um and there was very little words in it so it was a lot of just moving around we're pretending to be different animals and stuff the week that we were in longford um there just happened to be the week that a load of Ukrainian refugees had come over. Um, and it was there was so many Ukrainian kids. And mm. they'd all been told by, I guess, the Longford Arts Council or so. It had been had they'd been in touch with them and said, There's this show happening if you want to go, you know. So we went and did that. And like this is a show that I'd rehearsed for three weeks and it was on for two nights or two days in Longford in a field in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And I had such a good time in the rehearsal process and like it really gave me so much joy and I felt so inspired. So like on that side, it was like this really creative, beautiful experience for me. Just a little thing, this little blip of a show. But it was the response that we got from these kids, mm -hmm. you know, that like just for a moment and we had, there was no lights, you know, so we were like, having to engage with the kids, look them in the eye the whole time and like give them little bits of whatever we were doing. And they didn't understand what you're we saying, but like they were so full of joy in that little pocket of time. And I think that was so special. I've never I've never felt so like filled with emotion of every kind after performing something, you know, um, so being able to to give and receive from an audience. Mm. Yeah. That's a beautiful story. See, that made me want to oh. act. <laughs> That's a gorgeous story. Yeah, it was it was I was about to say I was really lucky, but like the circumstances were terrible, you know, mm. that they were there, but it was a really like humbling experience. I, I think that's what I mean when I when I think of it as lucky in that yeah. I I was very kind of brought back down to the core of what it is we're trying to do, you know. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, well, um, that's all the questions I have for mm. you. This is the part where you basically plug yourself if you have anything up and coming that anybody okay. wants to check out or if you have anything out there that you'd like people to see. That's um, kind of that part. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, Quicksand should be out in Irish film festivals. It'll make its premiere, hopefully. Possibly Dublin. I'll have to double check that. But there's an Instagram handle for that, which is... I guess it'll just be quicksand, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Siobhan of Callahan, and I will have links to quicksand on that. So if you can give that a follow and a share, that would be great when it comes to festival season. Um, and yeah, other than that, all my scripts are in development. So nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank, Thank you, you very much. so much for having me on. No it was problem. lovely. So that's the end of our episode for this week. I just want to give a quick thank you again to Siobhan for coming on and being a fantastic guest. Uh, make sure to check her out and Quicksand as well. I'll, I'll make sure to do an update on the Instagram page when Quicksand is released. Um, but uh, yeah, if you enjoyed that episode and want to hear more just like it, please give the podcast a follow. It very, very much helps me out. And if you're being very kind, you can leave us a review as long as it's positive. But other than that, um, it looks like it's going to be a lovely weekend in Dublin and Ireland this week. So I hope you have a lovely time. I'm off to see Late Night Pharmacy. Uh, buzzing. So uh, yeah, thanks very much for listening to the episode. I really appreciate it and uh, have a lovely weekend. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>